One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Really don't. Welcome everyone to the Really WSM podcast. I am Tom Pickup and we're here for an interview we can't quite believe is taking place. Now, if you've listened to our podcast, we've been banging on about how much we love the character of Saunders from The Living Daylights. And now he's actually here with us. So we're, we're absolutely delighted. We're in the presence of greatness with Mr. Thomas Wheatley. <laughs> <laughs> There's Koskoff now. What's he waiting for? Sniper, two floors up, centre window. Girl with the cello. Firebond, fire! Shooter, what are you waiting for? You missed, deliberately. It's great to see you, Thomas. You can watch, of course, all our interviews on our YouTube channel. We've done a few now from The Living Daylights. We've got uh, John Glenn, the director, and we've had Andreas Wisniewski, who played Necros, and mm. Julie T. Wallace. We've done a few of these before. Did you watch the one with Julie? I haven't, but well, I did I did listen to the one with Andreas. Yeah, Julie's was obviously quite raucous. She's, she's a bit of a character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did she disgrace herself? Well, <laughs> we found it funny. We enjoyed it. <laughs> and you can also listen to them and lots more of our audio episodes on mm. iTunes and Spotify. So please subscribe and leave a lovely review if it's all possible. We're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can find daily interaction between Bond fans all over the world. And I can tell you, Thomas, there are plenty who are praising you all the time. Mm. So this is going on all the time still. I did <laughs> listen to your allies. Yes. Podcast. Mm. Um, and particularly the two Timothy Dalton ones, of course. And I, I, f I have to say, I was overcome 
mm. by um, <laughs> generosity of everybody. <laughs> oh, well, it, it really is. I think we loved your character in The Living Daylight, Daylights especially. And then when we sort of started this podcast and come into the community of these Bond fans online, you, you realise there is a whole world out there who obsessed, you know, yeah. really are just taken with that particular <laughs> character, with that particular film. And Timothy Dalton, we'll talk about him, obviously, but he, he's oh, yeah. thankfully getting a bit of a renaissance uh, of love. I, yes, think. I think so. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's all good. It's all a, a good time to be a Bond fan, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and all that was long uh, before any of you were born, of course. Ooh. Well, we were all technically no, alive. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just about. <laughs> well, I could, I could introduce you, Thomas. So today, uh, obviously, I'm Tom as well, but you've got Mr. Chris Golder here and you've got Mathmic up there as well. Hello. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Like we say, we, yeah. we're, we're so excited to chat with another legendary ally of the James Bond, uh, of the James Bond world. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Thomas. Yeah. Thomas, you, you've had a, a long career in film, television on the stage. We, of course, know you best for your part as Section Chief Saunders in Bratislava mm-hmm. and uh, Vienna in The Living Daylights. But I believe you, you started quite, quite late as an actor. Is that right? You, you didn't immediately go in as a young man. That's right. I had a sensible job first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> came out of Oxford University and rather drifted into... Uh, the shipping industry, where I stayed throughout most of my 20s until I woke up. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, I was a late, a late starter, yeah. What caused the switch? Was it acting, was always something that you wanted to do or didn't have the courage, or was it just like a light switch, thought this is actually what I want to do? I, I think uh, I had always known, really, before I knew what the word actor meant, I think I was uh, heading that way. And when I look back, it seems like a sort of conspiracy of background and education, uh, perception of parental expectation and loads of English diffidence that I just um, tried to find every possible excuse for not doing it and eventually ran out. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, when I was about 28, when I think we boys uh, at last start to grow up a bit, the girls are my, way ahead of us. Yeah. But it's not till our late 20s that we realise that we have to take responsibility for our own lives. Mm-hmm. So, and I was, I was, I was pushed over the edge probably by the um, by the usefulness of a bit of a broken heart. I think that always propels you forward in life mm. or backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so yes i did eventually get there amazing did you do stuff at uh, university like amdram before you started well no i mean because of this finding excuses not to do it um arriving at an english public school with an unbroken voice and forced to play female roles was a kind of psychosexual trauma <laughs> and I just thought like, I want to do this and I never acted again for the whole of the rest of the school mm. time and then at Oxford where the opportunities are so enormous I still couldn't uh, mm. get my confidence back and that's and that's really why at the end of it it had, it had, uh, it had become a kind of secret and that's why I say I drifted into the shipping industry 
Yeah. And what did that involve? Well, the no, I should add that um, the reason why I ended up in international trade was because I had been unsuccessful in getting into international diplomacy. And I, I had, uh, my subject was history and modern European history, and in particular, the causes of the First World War and that sort of thing. The Second World War, of course, in my day was current affairs, not history. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got very interested in diplomatic history and thought, well, I better join the Foreign Office. And um, I was eventually not, not successful at that. Uh, that. Uh, but in the course of that application, I also had a little brush with MI6. Amazing. <laughs> and to be careful not to breach the official secrets act. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, actually, I won't go into too, too much because this is the, the widest audience the story will ever have told me. <laughs> but I did give the details in my audition for the Bond movie. And... Mm. Um, Cubby Broccoli said, we got to get that in the film. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Okay. So I just mentioned that because I suppose it, it, it did reap some benefit in the end. Oh, <laughs> right. Amazing. How do you go from working in the shipping industry to then getting a part in a Bond film, which I believe was one of your first roles, wasn't it? On, on film, certainly. It was, it was all very early, yeah. Um, well, I... Um, I, I threw everything in and went to a little one-year course, drama school, and then came out of that and struggled on the Edinburgh and London fringes, uh, not making much progress. Where are we now? Early, early 80s, mid-80s. And then quite suddenly out of the blue, I got a part in a television film in those days in the 80s, they were still, the BBC was still making what they called single films and broadcasting them every Sunday night in a thing called Screen mm. 2. They were amazing films. And one after the other, it all stopped in about 1990. Mike Lee's equivalent on television was a chap called Les Blair. And he was looking for completely unknown people to do an improvised television film about the advertising industry. And I landed a part in that as the out of the arc brewer client, um, surrounded by all these whizzy advertising executives. And it was, it was, it was, um, it suited me and it was a, a, quite a success. And I always feel, looking back, I feel I sort of took the notices while everybody else in it became international film stars. I'm talking Gary Oldman, mm. Richard E. Grant, Adrian Edmondson, Arabella Weir, all sorts of people. Anyway, that film was shown on a Sunday night in early 1986. And overnight, my position was just completely transformed. Agents started phoning and most importantly two casting directors phoned up and they were Michelle Gish and Debbie McWilliams uh, who were partners at the time and Michelle Gish got me into The Singing Detective which was shot mm. in that summer and I think is arguably the greatest piece of proper original television ever made and Debbie McWilliams of course in the summer of 86, got me into the Bond, which started shooting in Vienna in October. 
So it was the most extraordinary year and has been all downhill ever since. (laughs) (laughs) What was it like? You mentioned it was an improvised comedy. So was that someone who has no kind of real acting experience? That must have been very daunting in itself. Well, it's precisely because I was so green that it was not at all daunting. And I can tell you that my very first um, setup shot uh, on television was a speech improvised, remember, after the advertising executives have given me this um, example of their, what they want to do for us. Um, and it's absolutely dreadful. Um, and Les Blair asked me to leave a pause while before speaking. And then broadly speaking, he demolishes this whole idea. And I left what has been described the longest pause in television history. And then I got going and I was just talking away, all improvised, effortlessly, uh, undaunted. Um, And this went on for about 10 minutes until the magazine ran out. Um, (laughs) And Les Blair came over and said, are you happy with that? I said, I don't know. He said, well, I'm happy with that. So there was only ever one take. I'm blathering on here, but no, I mean, no, no. Uh, That's uh, the, the, the greener you are, the less daunted you are. Yeah. And as we get older, it gets more, all, all gets more terrifying. And uh, it was the same on the, on the bond. I mean, I was so, so the novice that I was fearless, probably. You mentioned the singing detective that, I mean, a classic now it's seen as, isn't it? And Michael Gambon yes. was in that, I believe. As, as yes, the, he was. Yeah. So you, you've, you've acted with some cracking people, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all along the way, yes. Yes. I, I, and I had a lovely little scene with Michael Gambon at the end of the first episode, trying to refer him to a, psycho, a psychotherapist, um, which he doesn't accept. I was a registrar, a doctor. I have occasionally seen patients who are just as bad, sometimes worse than you are, but I think it's fair to say that none of them reacts in quite the way that you do, with such aggression. What do they do, sing madrigals? Well, they don't rail against the world and all that is in it. They don't behave as if they've just fallen into a sewer. Look, are you trying to tell me that I should take the tranquilizers? Or is it a deodorant you've got in mind? I think you should take them, the tranquilizers, for a little while. No, I won't. That's entirely up to you, of course. No one's going to ram them down your throat. But where are you going to find any equanimity? What? I I know it's always an embarrassing question, even between husbands and wives. But what do you believe in? Malthusianism. Come again? Malthus, but mandatorily. Compulsory depopulation by infanticide, suicide, genocide, or whatever other means suggest themselves. AIDS, for example, that'll do. Why should queers be so special? I see. I also believe in cigarettes cholesterol, alcohol, carbon monoxide, masturbation, the Arts Council, nuclear weapons, uh, the Daily Telegraph, and not properly labelling fatal poisons. But above all else, most of all, I believe in the one thing that can come out of people's mouths. Vomit. I want you to think carefully about what I'm going to say. There's a very good man here at the hospital, very alert and... uh, Sympathetic. I'd like you to talk to him. Who 
do you mean? Alert and what? What are you talking about? Who is he? You get himself struck off. A Dr. Gibbon. Doctor of what? Skin? Joints? Monkeys? The decline and fall of the Roman Empire? What? What's he got to be alert and sympathetic about? He's a... Well, he's a psychotherapist. A very good man. You'd get on well with him. Get stuffed! You are out of order. I will not be spoken to in this manner. Then if you see off, sir. I will speak to you again. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And because I was a doctor, I was I'm proud to have been in the flagship sequence from the series, which I don't know whether you're familiar with it at all. Um, the Dembone sequence with the dancing doctors. Barbiturate. Antidepressants. Valium. And Librium. Ezekiel cried. Dem- Magnificent uh, Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Dry Bones number <laughs> with all the doctors and nurses in the hospital all singing and dancing. Obviously, Dennis Fox was quite, you know, well known. So did you feel like when you were making it, it was something very special? You know, did it, was it, did it feel quite immediate? Because sometimes you're not aware until, you know, later it's being released. No, I, I, can, I, I can remember vividly, and I knew absolutely nothing at the time, but these scripts came through the door, and as soon as I read them, I knew that, th- that this was amazing. I think we all knew from the start it was going to be extraordinary. But um, John A. Meal, the director, I think his contribution was enormous because he he transformed, he got it off the page in the most amazing way, I think. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you? Got the soundtrack on vinyl and everything. It's, yeah. it's, like you say, it's an astonishing <laughs> piece of television. And, yeah. and to be, like you say, to be part of something like that must feel must make you feel really uh, warm and fuzzy inside because that is the quite like you say is such a benchmark in television yeah. and writing that it's astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. They need to show them again, don't they? They need to reshow a lot of these these classic television. Well, yeah, I think particularly those like like Thomas was saying about the the, the screen two and those kind of play not, yeah. not maybe not play for the day, but the later iterations of that are just on mm. the nowhere. I assume they're in BBC archive somewhere, but. It needs to be online. There's so much well, to see. see find the. I mean, it was never shown a second time. Even right. the 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 um, advertising. It was called Honest, Decent, and True. Okay. Gosh. Maybe there might be a like a tatty copy on YouTube or something. Dig <laughs> <laughs> that out. I saw also you, you've done a, a verbatim play, Value Engineering, about the, the Grenfell Inquiry. Is that um, is that similar or? Is that partly improvised, or is that no, you're all, it's just the opposite? Is it just reading and going uh, after precisely the opposite? Yeah, absolutely, strictly verbatim. Yes, the reason why I delayed this gathering um, was because I've just been doing that. Yes, right. Okay. Yeah, finished mm. a couple of weeks ago. Well, great uh, that you're back on stage. Well, I I am, and I'm not slightly known for perpetually retiring. I sort of <laughs> do mean it this time, and I hadn't done anything for five years. And I I had to do this job because, I mean, we're, we're jumping to the end now, but um, <laughs> I mean, the, the core of my career, if that's not too generous a word, um, is this um, verbatim... Uh, the, this body of political work which came out of the tricycle in North London 
And I'm very, very proud to say that I have ended up being the only actor who has done all nine now, this was the ninth, nine of these reconstructions of trials and inquiries, sort of known as tribunal plays, mm. which were developed by Nick Kent, who ran the tricycle for a very long time, and Richard Norton Taylor, the Guardian journalist, who's edited them all down. We started in 1994. I thought we'd finished in 2011, and Nick stepped down from the tricycle at that point. But he and Richard wanted to do this um, to address the uh, grim and ghastly Grenfell. So we have just done this, not at the tricycle anymore, which is, uh, which is not there, but it, it was a tricycle-type piece, if you like. Um, which, so which I, had, the... I had to go back and do that. Have there been, so of these other, you know, similar kind of works that you've done, have they been for famous, I don't know, trials or tribunals and things from sort of yeah. well, modern recent uh, history? The, on, the only historical one we ever did, and sort of all of our favourites, because it was just so big, was the Nuremberg trial, mm. which we did in 1996 on the, whatever it would have been then, the 50th anniversary of the verdicts. Yeah. And Richard uh, chose four leading Nazis, um, Goering, Keitel, Rosenberg, Speer, uh, in the dock. And I came on sort of in the middle as a witness for the defense who gave extra such extraordinary testimony that Richard wanted him in there. And that was Rudolf Hearst, not Hess, but Hearst, mm. who had been the commandant of Auschwitz. So that was in 1996, and the only historical one we did. And that was coupled also in that year with a piece on the Hague Tribunal on Yugoslavia, with the indictment of uh, Karadzic and Mladic on Srebrenica. So those were the two on war crimes. Four of the pieces were on the Iraq war in one way or another. So they were all contemporary, ending up in 2011 with the last one, which was on the Bahamusa inquiry, which was about the death in the custody of British soldiers of, of the civilian in Basra. Four, two, four on Iraq, two on war crimes. The, probably the most famous one we ever did, which really caught the public imagination, rather as the Grenfell one just has, was the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, which we did in 1999, uh, at exactly the time that the report was coming out. Mm. And then the other one was um, Bloody Sunday. We did Northern Ireland as well. So it's an amazing wow. body of work, mm. strictly transcripted material. <laughs> I've now occupied all three desks, that's witnesses, inquiry council asking all the questions um and this time last time um the chairman who doesn't say very much but has to listen very attentively that's so, absolutely amazing uh tom uh, just you mentioned in Nuremberg there coincidentally i i did a law degree and i did uh, part of uh, my semester abroad in america and yeah. we actually did a research project for the pentagon which was reading through all the Nuremberg trial transcripts. So I've pretty much read all the, I mean, it's, it's volumes in the library. They were, I mean, how long does it go on for? Uh, our piece? Yeah. You mean, our, the piece we did? The piece you did, yeah. Oh, well, I think it, uh, it was done 
naturally enough, without an interval, and I think it was probably 90 minutes. Right, okay, yeah. Or three days, but it was so... I mean, the point about this work, this applies as much to Grenfell now as to Nuremberg. Everybody was familiar with that picture in Nuremberg of those 23 or how many there were men in the dock. Everybody knows that picture. But who would know what they might have said for themselves in their own defence until Richard and Nick came along and presented this microcosm of the trial. Um, and it's the same with Grenfell. We hear the reports every day on the news, but the audiences at the Tabernacle in London were able to come and actually sort of concentrate on the evidence, the selected evidence that was presented and get a much better um, impression of it. Fascinating and very important work to have yeah. that, like you say, that have that document. Well, it's accessible in a yeah. I was just way. so lucky to um, land in this uh, body of work at the beginning in 1994 when I was recruited as a fair lookalike for William Walgrave, who was the minister in Margaret Thatcher's government, um, most in the firing line on the sale of arms to Iraq, long all before your time, I. <laughs> so I was so lucky and it just sort of fitted, suited me and it's gone all the, on all this time and that's why I had to do this last piece. Mm. Uh, stage, do you think, your favourite platform? Hmm? Do you Sorry? think stage, stage is your favourite platform for acting? Well, I think it is, yes. Well, in fact, it definitely is. Yeah. And I think it probably always was. But it just so happened that I got started in television and film. Yeah, which actually made, funnily enough, it made breaking into theatre quite difficult. And I never did break into mainstream theatre, actually. Did oh. I say break into film? I meant break into theatre. <laughs> yeah, I thought you, you definitely broke into theatre, Thomas. But yes, I think I do. I think that's where the craft of acting belongs. Matthew, you've got a question. Well, you've got a story to tell Thomas, haven't you, about theatre? I have, yeah. Um, a few years ago, I went with my parents to the Royal Shakespeare Company Theatre in Stratford, and they were doing, it was the same sort of cast and crew were doing two plays. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was Love's Labour's Lost and All's Well That Ends Well, but I might have, I might, I was, might be wrong. It was an, uh, Love's Labour's Lost and what, what was called at that time Love's Labour's One, which is actually Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. But yeah, and, um, you know, opened the programme and saw your picture there and Thomas, the name Thomas Wheatley. And I was yeah. like, Mom and Dad, it's it's Saunders. <laughs> like, this is amazing. And and so yeah, so I saw you perform. I can't remember what it was. It must have been five or six years ago now or something. It was um, it was 2014-15 season. Right. And yeah. And the two plays were set either side of the First World War. Right, yeah. 1914-2014, uh, yeah. And there was a yeah. third play uh, on the Christmas truce, which we did. Um right. At the same time, yeah. yeah. I did hear you talking about that when I oh, did you? The <laughs> oh, good, right. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah. 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 You to mention that. Um, <laughs> but I think you, 
uh, you were also detecting that, and I, I can say, I can say this. I'm sure. I mean, I was not very happy up there, to be honest. Oh, and that, that was. <laughs> I, I limp. I limped home from Stratford, and that was the moment when I thought, I think I may be done with this. Oh right. So, <laughs> well, um, I haven't detected that myself, but <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah, they were great shows, actually. I thought. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's a fantastic job for young people. It's um, it, I'd I'd waited for that job for thirty years, and when it eventually came, it was too late. That's that's what it was. But thank you for being there. No, no, no. <laughs> thank you for performing. It was excellent. Hi, this is Julie T. Wallace. You're about to listen to Really 007 podcast. It's about me. In the living daylights, or he will be boshed. You mentioned, of course, that you got in contact somehow with Debbie McWilliams. Is that how the process started with coming to be cast in the living daylights? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and it was, yeah, it was within months of this this little film being shown, and I was called in to see them all. They were all there. Round this round table in South Audley Street, um, Cubby Broccoli, Barbara, Michael Wilson, John Glenn. I think I can't remember his name. The co-writer of the piece. Oh, Dick uh, Maybaum, was it? That's right. Yeah, he was there as well. And it was just—I suppose it doesn't happen these days—but it was just so friendly and warm and easy and unintimidating and just very, very delightful. I mean, uh, Debbie Williams is still doing it, I think. Yeah, yeah. And she just does her work, gives, presents them with people, and, and it, I, I don't think they see many people for, for these parts. And, I mean, I got the job before I got home. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> what, what did you uh, What did you have to do? For did you have to you know um, do a scene with someone or no? no that's what I mean. You don't right. read. You right. certainly don't do a self tape <laughs> uh, like these days. Yeah, it's another reason why I've withdrawn because I wouldn't yeah. want to do one. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't believe I read at all. It was just a chat, and I told my my sick story and you know it, it was just as i recall just a, a gentle chat must have been a good one though <laughs> <laughs> yeah. coming into this obviously you must have known this is a bond film had you seen a lot of the, the previous films or were you aware of it because some people aren't you know i think julie was i think she said well, she hadn't uh, seen any of that stuff of, yeah. of course i was a, a who who hadn't? Julie hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just told us. That's entirely true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, of course, I was familiar with it, and I had seen several, probably, but I was by no means uh, like you lot, <laughs> a paid-up fan, and certainly not an expert. And it was an incongruous thing for me to be up for. I mean, people who knew me, friends and family, thought it was, um, you know, very, very odd <laughs> and extraordinary and very delightful. Yeah. So what was Cubby like 
as a, as a chap. I mean, it's he's a legend, isn't he, of the, the producing game? Yes, absolutely. Well, well sort of fatherly, you know, yeah. so mm. charming and uh, generous. And I mean, by then, uh, Barbara and Michael were doing all the work, really. But Cubby was with us throughout in Vienna. He was there all the time. And Dana, his wife, was there all the time. They were all, they were all, I mean, as as lots of people must tell you, it is a family. And for the time you're involved with them, you're you're one of the family. It's very, very lovely. Mm. How how long were you on set for? Was it was it kind of a, did you shoot everything at once or did you have to go away and come back until it relocated? Or uh, I had two I had two sort of sections. I think it was the very beginning of the shoot, uh, a fortnight in Vienna, in October '86. Um, then they all went off to Tangier and Wazazat and all of that, and I was left behind. I can remember Barbara ringing me up at home at least twice while they were away saying hello we miss you (laughs) i mean that's how they are yeah um i think they were out there for a month and and then i had a fortnight in pinewood yeah and that was it and i must have been done and dusted by christmas i think hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Amazing. What's it like, kind of, <laughs> arrive? Because obviously these are huge productions with loads of people involved, crew, cast, just the sheer mechanics of it. It must be, you know, a, this huge machine that has to sort of move around. What's it like, you kind of being dropped in to do your scenes, then go and then come back again? And obviously they've spent all this time abroad filming and then you're dropped back in. What, what was that like? Well, again, I think because I knew nothing, I just took it all in my stride and was unfazed by it all. I mean, I would be now. I can't really remember. I, uh, I, I was, as you say, just dropped into Vienna, into the Bristol Hotel next oh. to the State Opera House. Jeez. The loveliest hotel I still will ever have uh, stayed in. And limoed around like a Habsburg prince. <laughs> <laughs> and to all these stunning locations. And everybody was out there. John Barry was out there as well. Oh. And, uh, and it was just, just a complete delight. Um, 
and what, you're ferried through the whole thing by everybody, including, I have to say, Timothy Dalton, who was um, tremendously um, kind and generous to me, the novice, and very helpful, yeah. Because it was his you, first Bond film, yeah. wasn't it? I was going to yeah. ask. He was, had plenty to think about. Yeah, he did. yeah. Very <laughs> generous. So were you aware that he, you know, there was going to be this new actor as James Bond? Because of course, at one point it was going to be Pierce Brosnan and then it was, then it was Timothy Dalton and they were sort of going in a bit of a different direction. Was all this sort of, I don't know, discussed at that chat or did it become apparent during the production? Or, or? I think I knew that. There'd been a bit of a hiatus, hadn't there? There'd been longer than they, they, they were supposed to be right. since <clears> the previous <throat> film with the whole Pierce Brosnan thing. Yeah. So yes, I was. I think I, I think we were all aware that that's what had happened. Yeah. Mm. Did you get much time to? So when we spoke to to John Glenn, I think he admitted his his um, when it comes to direction of actors, he likes to let the actors, yeah, you know, work, you know, do what they're supposed to do, which is you know, yeah. act and perform. Um, did you get actually any time to rehearse any of the scenes, or was it very much on set? Do the blocking and then just shoot it. Do you know, I can't. I mean, I. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering what it must be like, given your, you know, your. It's quite an extreme in terms of when you're doing something on the stage, where you have that opportunity to to, to rehearse, and there's much more to preparation with a film where you might just, like, say, turn up, shoot, and then go home. And I was wondering how that kind of worked with with because obviously share a lot of screen time with Timothy Dalton. I just I. I don't recall John Glenn. We certainly didn't have any rehearsals off the set or, or elsewhere. And I can't remember John Glenn taking us through things particularly. He was absolutely on it. Um, but I think we just did it. And of course, you do it many, many times in different angles and different sizes. And I... I think we just put it together like that. I'm not answering this very. Uh, no, 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 it's uh, it worked though, didn't it? I mean, it's it's got all the right ingredients for it to work with with the cast and John Glenn, the location we've mentioned, and the music from John Barry. But it, like one of your first scenes, of course, is the meeting in uh, Bratislava, and it's just it's so well done. Because it's that relationship that starts off as a sort of prickly relationship, and the reason we we love Saunders so much is it does grow until until it well it, the untimely end, of course. <laughs> yes. Now let's understand one another, Bond. General Koskoff is a top KGB mastermind. His defection is my baby. He contacted me. I've planned this out to the last detail. You'll want the soft nose ones, I expect. No, the steel tipped. KGB snipers usually wear body armor. What's your escape route? Sorry, old man. Section 26, paragraph 5. That information is on a need-to-know basis only. I'm sure you understand. Koskoff is under intensive KGB surveillance. A sniper has been assigned to watch him, and he expressly asked for you to protect him. Why me? He's under the impression you're the best. It's very well written, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. there are, as I recall, 
four or five or maybe six quite strong exchanges between the two of them, aren't there? Mm. Yeah. And, I, oh, I must tell you, I had um, some spare time between the dentist and the barber <laughs> in town. And so I popped into one of my favourite places in London, which is the British Library. And I popped into, they have an exhibition of documents and sheets of music and, you know, the, uh, out of the archive, which they keep changing all the time. And I w- wandered in and there was a page of Fleming, The Living Daylights. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, This was just two or three, two, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there it was, his handwriting uh, of that short story. And as I'm sure you know, it is a short story, Mm. uh, quite a significant one. And I think it was the last original Fleming material that was used. Yeah. Uh, Why did I bring that in? Oh, because you were were talking about the script. Yeah. So, I mean, Saunders is a major character in that short story, isn't he? And they they obviously used that. And they're a great contrast, aren't they? I mean, people ask me, they say, well, what, what did you play? And I said, well, I played the other British agent, totally lacking in any of the charm, flair, panache, sex yeah. appeal of James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> very, very difficult part. He's got his thumbs, Thomas, so he has online, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he does. <laughs> but it's a nice, he's a nice uh, and well-written character, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think he definitely stands out as one of the... And I do think that's also down to, to, to the, the chemistry between you yeah. and, and Timothy. Yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's quite clear, like I say, it's quite, it's very prickly, kind of rub each other up the wrong way. But then that bit in the, in the, in the coffee shop, that sense of, you Tragic, know. Tragic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's one, of, one yeah. of the, I suppose, one of the most kind of hard-hitting deaths in any mm. Bond films. And yeah. uh, that's when it's at its best, mm. isn't it? When you, you take characters who don't have, you know, necessarily a huge amount of screen time but because it's such a well-rounded character and has some impact on the plot and the characterization as opposed to it's someone basically telling someone the plot so we can just kind of follow it it works brilliantly yeah. and it's always stood out to me as one of the best you know exchanges allies and and, and just because it's just it's kind of the characters have a, an arc yeah, you know they they go through something as opposed to you know it's one scene after the other and then it and, and that's it. I think it's um, like I say there's there's plenty of people who uh, absolutely love that character and it's it, and it is a standout scene within that film, which is one of my favourites. You know, I think in it's the a, a, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just you know there's so much going on in that, and I think John Glenn and you know the editor did a great job cutting to, to Andreas outside and building yeah. a tent and John yeah, Barry's yeah. music and then that kind of yeah. sense of you know that just that actually you're not too you know you're not too bad song and then for, for Dalton to you know because if you didn't have that the, the anger that Dalton gets wouldn't be believable yeah and I think yeah, that's that, that's so it's such a, a highlight of the film where's Whitcanal at his place in Tangier well done Good luck. Uh, Saunders. Thanks. Ah! 
It is kind of the pivot of the film, about something over, just over halfway through, isn't it? When he he is transformed by the, that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I you say the chemistry. I I mean, it was just um, it was just natural, and I think we were both we both came into it with an earnestness that was perhaps unusual and appropriate, actually, yeah. for both of them. And when you say, I think, I think we had a, there was a big anniversary recently, wasn't there? Is it 50 years or something? It's 60 years next year. Yes. Since, uh, Maybe I mean the, the last big one. And yeah, 50 years when it was it, Skyfall. It was the moment yeah. when the living daylights at last began to be better recognised. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Matthew S Sweet. Yes, Matthew. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Timothy Dalton was the best, uh, as as I do. I would say that. Oh, I? good. Um, <laughs> we we that, agree. That, that seriousness, which I think Daniel Craig has picked up on, that that seriousness was perhaps um, didn't work so well at the time, but is now reaping its reward. Absolutely. Mm. We said that Saunders gets a lot of love from Bond fans, but. Timothy Dalton's getting more and more all the time. Good. And was it a case of he? Do you think he brought that to it, or do you think the you know the direction they wanted to go down was more that darker route? Of course, I don't know the answer to that, but I think I think it was. I suspect it was probably mostly him. I think yeah. he went he went back to the books, and he found a darker character. Was he still smoking? He was smoking then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. I mean, he found this heavy smoking, drinking, depressive character. <laughs> and I think he wanted to bring an element of that into it, which kind of deepens it and broadens it, doesn't it? And, and the whole Saunders thing and me doing fit, fitted in, fitted in very well with that, I think. Mm. What was he like between takes and sort of off, off screen? Timothy is a chap. Oh, very companionable, very companionable, relaxed, um, a very lovely man. I was, uh, I was very lucky. Well, Julie and Andreas both said that as well. Mm. I know John obviously got on with him too. It's it's, it's good to hear because you you're playing a part who's like I say a bit prickly, and then off screen everyone's saying how lovely it is. It's just the perfect combination. It's great to hear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's all, it's all very social, you know. Yeah. Mm. We, we had a very good time, yeah. <laughs> On the, it's the BBC archive share, like, news clips, and, you know, every day they'll share something. And I think it was yesterday they shared the clip, news clip of Diane Charles attended on, on set, and I was just watching it because <laughs> I thought it was timely. And, I, and then I noticed you in the background when she bottles him over the back of the head. <laughs> so what was that like? It must have been quite the circus. It, it was. I mean, that was that was Pinewood. Was it while I was shooting or did I come back? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But uh, yes, I there I was. Uh, Jeroen Crabbe is there as well, yeah. I think. Yeah. Isn't he? You're both giggling in the background. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
And yeah, the next day, except for the Independent, which never puts royalty on the front, I don't think, or didn't used to, it was on the front of every single paper. And downstairs here, I, I have every single one of those. Oh, <laughs> oh lovely. <laughs> Quite right. Yes, just a, it, it's still one of the big images of the marriage, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Quite telling as well. Do you, yeah. <laughs> obviously, did, did you, um, oh. obviously, did you meet them at the premiere? Did you meet them yes. again? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and what was it like to be at a royal premiere for a Bond film? That must be... Uh, Quite the highlight. Well, well, again, the novice. Um, right. You just, but it was yeah. very, very <laughs> exciting. And, mm. um, I think Julie, did she? Did Julie complain to you that I, we were standing next to each other and I was behaving rather badly, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, Diana was, 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 well, they're both lovely to meet. And Diana was, yeah, it's one, one, treasures that and she said I remember she said very sensibly to me I wish we could meet you afterwards and then we could talk about it oh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> she'd have been horrified to see what happened to Saunders I'm sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was in the deleted scenes or John Glenn talking about it but the what there was a scene filmed when you were basically cut in two is that is that right I was going to mention that when we were talking about that moment earlier, but they ended up with a cut that works much better because yeah, yeah. of what, because of how Timothy was yeah. reacting, and it's much mm. better. They had five plaster models of me. There were five <laughs> dinner jackets cut up the middle, <laughs> and it was a huge. I can't remember how how long it took, but I mean, it was a huge special effect. And I have a still of myself reacting to the door uh, being closed at speed to six inches from my nose. So oh. it is, um, and none of this is on the screen. Huh. But um, yeah, there was loads and loads of material, but they just have the explosion and then it cuts straight to the bobbing balloons, and I think you can see a patent leather shoe there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> um, and Timothy just reacting. Ooh, so that's, that, so that, that was quite a big stunt then that you did and end up and, and getting used. So was that a big, you know, process? And uh, was it quite scary in some, <laughs> some regards? Well, it was. I mean, if I can get... Get you uh, get you to see this still. You can see it was absolutely mm. terrifying. Yeah, but mm. one is one is shepherded through these things. You know. Yeah, it's great though the the restraint they show that it was better in the final edit. What mm. you didn't see, and it's yeah. it's Tim's reaction, isn't it? Bursting yeah. the balloon. That yeah. is, I think yeah. it's again one of the best moments in the franchise for me. That it's just yeah, it typifies everything about his bond, and that is because of the. You know, you said it's a pivot, isn't it, in the in the mm. film? Yeah. And, yeah, it's that revenge side that they, they did explore in Licence to Kill, which we love as well. Was it lovely to work at the Prata? Because me and uh, other other collaborator, John, we, we've been there and on the wheel, and it's a, it's a beautiful city in general, Vienna. Well, I was uh, thrilled to be there for an, uh, another extracurricular reason. The, the other thing I did in 1986, everything happened in 1986, <laughs> was I revived from the year before, which I, when I'd done it in Edinburgh, 
on the fringe uh, my own uh, one man show. We all did one man shows in those days <laughs> on the fringe in Edinburgh. And I revived this again in the tiny little Latchmere Theatre in Battersea here. And it was a piece that I put together about Beethoven. Uh, oh. uh, classical music is a big, the biggest thing in my life, probably. Um, and Beethoven was my first love. And I put this together, all his words, and done it. And so the next thing, I'm sent to Vienna. So, you know, I was on a Beethoven pilgrimage and there was time for me to do the lot. I mean, he moved house twice a year, <laughs> winter and summer. So there were, I went to every house or site of that I could. Two of them are big museums, uh, one out in the village of Heiligenstadt and one in the centre of the town. Uh, Fidelio was on at the State Opera House, which I went to see. Oh. I, I, was, I went to the grave and all the statues. I just did the whole Beethoven pilgrimage while while making this great big film. I mean, it was amazing. You've got scenes in the opera house. Was that at the actual opera house? Yes. Well, the, yeah, the marriage of Figaro in the opera house uh, where we agree to meet in the Prater. That's right. That was the, the, the beautiful um, Habsburg theatre at the Schönbrunn Palace. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. Saunders, head of Section V, Vienna. You're bloody late. This is a mission, not a fancy dress ball. We have time. Where's our man? In the box between the KGB minders. Lovely girl with a cello. Forget the ladies for once, Bond. Koskoff will leave the concert at the interval. Shh, shh. We better go. And that was, I think, the only interior in Vienna. Yeah. All the other interiors were back in Pinewood. Uh, but we were in there. Yeah. Beautiful place. Yeah. <laughs> and the Prater part was fun. We were there at night, weren't we? Yes, of course we were. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then, I was going to do an, imp an impression of you, um, you know, you, you put up your programme uh, to indicate oh. Bond, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, Michael Wilson, wasn't it? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, right, yeah, is there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry about I mean, that. Yeah, Mike sorry. Michael Wilson I sitting next to me. Yes. Oh, yeah. really? He, yeah, that's his. Because he... Um, um, Hitchcock-like. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Hitchcock -like. Yeah, yeah. So he was sitting next to me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was uh, that was a distraction. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, part and the the exterior, the exterior of the Bratislava Concert Hall. Yeah, is the Volksoper in Vienna. Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely amazing. Yeah, uh, I mean, we've said you've got, you've got all these quite serious scenes, but then you've got a bit more of a silly scene which you have with Julie and Jeroen. Uh, I'm saying, <laughs> well, <laughs> I know you, you're sort of there at the start, aren't you, when you're getting uh, him through the pipeline, which is a terrific, another terrific sequence. Am I there? I think you, I think you dropped them off, I think, certainly. Is that right, Math? I don't know. 
I don't from. know because I think I get left behind. You're left behind, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're holding the sniper rifle. That's yeah. it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have no yeah. clue what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think he, uh, Saunders, is, is uh, got his back on this big pipe. And yeah, sent, yeah. And oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And vibration, it's, it's, and that's... Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I, no, uh, Julie and I did not cross paths, I don't know. <laughs> I crossed paths with nobody except for Timothy and right. finally Andreas. Yeah. Or well, not even him, actually. You, you don't share screen time with Andreas, do you? Because it's always cut no. from you to him no. walking past. And yeah. Stuff. But you, oh, you... no, I do, I do. He does offer me a balloon. A balloon, yeah. So ah, yes. yeah, yeah. Mine hair, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're right so but you obviously you must have met these people on the production and i know you you did selling hitler with julie is that right as well oh yes yeah <laughs> done my research yeah. thomas yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right yes i did i i mean mariam was around of course oh yeah yeah all the time in vienna but mostly it was yeah i mean they're they're two-handers all those uh, scenes aren't they yeah just the viewers I'm not too sure if you're aware just how famous there's a, obviously a bit of dialogue that, that, that you have. <laughs> yeah. It's very famous that is often quoted, well, online between us and I think <laughs> even my family quote it now and then uh, about the uh, paragraph, et cetera, et cetera. Are you aware that that's actually quite a, a famous bit of dialogue in the film? Because obviously it's thrown back at you, isn't it, by Tim? Like... Where is he? In the boot. First place they'd look. But my escape route. Scrubbed. Get in the front. James. James Bond. Later, General. Lose them. I'll pick you up at the border. 2300 hours. Be there. Where are you taking him? How will you get him out? Sorry, old man. Section 26, paragraph 5. Need to know. I'm sure you understand. Various things get thrown back. Jeroen Krabby at the time was very keen on saying, kept saying it all over the place. This is highly irregular. <laughs> uh, need to know basis gets thrown mm -hmm. at me. Yeah. What's the one you're referring to? It's um. Oh yes. Oh, my great niece, who is quite <laughs> small. A few years ago, she was introduced to things, and so I arrived there one day, and she said, "You're bloody late." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes, section V, Vienna, you're bloody late. That's the first line, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Going to section V, Vienna, you're bloody late, yeah. Because that's it. it. It's so good how it goes back, and he he tells you, of course, the line just to annoy you. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a bit of comedy within within all this, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful, though. No. Pinewood as well. What's it like sort of rocking up at Pinewood and seeing these sets? Was, was the Prater sets, was that in, internal? Was that Pinewood? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. The whole cafe, of course, was at yeah. Pinewood. And beyond, beyond, beyond the cafe was a Ferris wheel, but it was a bicycle wheel. And there were various little children who were recruited for the day <laughs> and were in overcoats and, and trilby hats. And wow. the whole thing was reduced to scale. <laughs> oh, <laughs> false perspective. The magic of film, oh, I shouldn't yeah. tell you. Brilliant. No, no, no. Amazing. They've done, they've done all the, um, 
the big ferries. They must have done all the stuff on the wheel itself. Yeah. yeah. Did they? Yeah, I, actually, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that shot of me looking up at the Ferris wheel mm. is in the Prata Park, definitely. Yeah. We had we only had a bicycle wheel in Pinewood. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Of course, now that would all be done by CGI, but it is interesting to hear about yeah. you know, the techniques they used to use. Yeah. Which sometimes are better. Yeah. Another, you know, I... <laughs> Iconic character we spoke to was uh, Andreas Wisniewski, of course. Yes. You played Necros. These are such big characters. Are you, are you aware of sort of... He, I mean, it's had a massive effect on his life as well, and Julie's. I think all three of you were relatively new, relatively young. Hmm. Yeah. And it's just transformed their lives. Is it? Is that, you know, would you say it has sort of been the, the thing you're most remembered for? Um, oh, de definitely, yes. Um because I quite soon went off in an, another direction. And this uh, tricycle work that we talked about, um, I'm very proud of it. And it's, very, it's a very important development in British theatre, I think. Uh, but it does not have mass appeal. You know? So yes, that's by far the biggest thing. Uh, I didn't, I, I've, I've done very, very little television since 1990. The late 80s, with the singing text and everything, I worked quite a lot in television. The Living Daylights did not lead to, uh, did not lead on to any more film work at all. In fact, the only other big film I made was a very entertainingly coarse piece called Death at a Funeral. Yes, yeah. <laughs> 20 years later, in 2006. Yeah. So I'm expecting my third film in 2026. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it's by, by far the biggest thing. But it's, an, it's half my life ago. It's a long, long time ago. But it's still, it's still well, here we are today. It's still going strong. Mm. And I get, mm. a few, you know, the letters still come in. So yes, it is the one well-known thing. And it was right at the beginning. Um, Amazing. I in kept in touch with Andreas a bit after. Oh, good. We were both, yeah. we were both um, as you say, both new. And uh, I hadn't seen him for several years now. And I was very interested to listen to him. <laughs> Far more expert than I can be on, on the subject of film. Well, very he's a very bright guy, isn't he? A very interesting character, yeah. We, no, we loved speaking to Andreas. It was, it was fascinating. Mm. In, in terms of the Bonds, where you said you, you liked Daniel Craig's interpretation of the character. Have you, have you seen No Time to Die yet? Is that the latest one? It is, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, no, I haven't. Oh, right, okay, right. I haven't. I won't spoil it for you then. <laughs> no, no. Yes, well, he's a super actor. I saw him in um, in Angels in America at the National Theatre. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've been very, was very aware of him before he took on the part. Very good actor. Which you your favourite Bond films would you say? <laughs> oh, don't. Uh, um, the answer the is the living daylight. I'm going to pass on that one. Fair enough. You can say the living daylights because it is one of our. <laughs> I did. Well, I did. Yes. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Good. <laughs> Fine then. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and Tim's the best Bond. So. Oh, no question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was just going to uh, make you aware, Thomas, that on Twitter, I don't know if you use Twitter or not. Yeah, um, I don't. I'm sorry. Don't do any of these <laughs> well, yeah. Um, oh, somebody's, cre- yeah, somebody's created an account called One Saunders a Day, and I don't know if you can see this. He posts that picture uh, every every single day. Yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah. the other the other what? day he, he did it with sunglasses on. I don't know. If so you know that's the, I know that's nothing the, do i yeah, yeah. yeah this is what's going on <laughs> that, that, that's how you know far-reaching your appeal is yeah. as that iconic character and i'm not being sarcastic there I'm being no i'm not no yeah. they'll absolutely love to hear this and see you uh, talking yeah. about the role as well it's, mm. it's brilliant but yeah well, you are very sweet to um be so generous about uh poor old saunders and, um, <laughs> and to invite me on here oh that's been a pleasure it's been oh, yeah. thank to, you so much for your time it is yeah. an honor it's, it's, it's been wonderful thank you so much uh thomas well We're, thank you so much yeah what fun well, it's, yeah. it's the kindness of it is elves yeah. and yeah. julie yeah. and john glenn and Andrew. the fact that you're prepared to give you it's know amazing. an hour or so of your time it's just it's, it's wonderful yeah and, you know it we is. get so much feedback from listeners who would just absolutely adore the characters you've created it's it's yeah. very gratifying we'll forward any uh mm. Any comments through? Yeah, we will do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) be careful. (laughs) (laughs) And what? Maybe next. Maybe on part two, you can reveal your uh, MI (laughs) six. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Need to know basics. (laughs) Cheer up, Saunders. The operation's a success, and officially still yours. I have no intention of leaving it at that. Double O seven. I'm reporting to M that you deliberately missed. Your orders were to kill that sniper. Stuff my orders. I only kill professionals. Girl didn't know one end of a rifle from the other. Go ahead, tell him what you want. If he fires me, I'll thank him for it. Whoever she was must have scared the living daylights out of her. Really the best. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.